Good morning. It's good to see all of you this morning. If you're visiting with us this morning at Grace, we are thrilled that you're here to be a part of our worship service. And our focal point, hopefully, is always the Lord. We want to focus on Him and, and worship Him. I trust you're ready for that this morning, and um, you've come prepared to do that. I'd like you to take your Bibles and go with me to uh, Psalm 96. And before we read Psalm 96, I, I wanted to um, make mention of the ballots. Um, if you're a member here at Grace, um, today um, is voting for elder and deacon. I sent a letter out a couple of weeks ago. You should have received, if you're a member here, and um, it gave you details as to who was uh, nominated and then approved uh, by the elders for your consideration. And so if you would just take that ballot and fill that out and just place it in the offering plates as you go, um, we'd really, really appreciate that. And so um, um, leadership in the body of Christ is very important. Um, and it's important because God says it's important. And uh, elders and deacons are vital to the health of the body. Uh, and so I trust that you've been praying about that in consideration of these names uh, that are before you today. As I was driving to church this morning, I was coming over Chapel Mountain Road, and the sun was hitting that fog, and it was just incredible, the beauty. And um, I'm like, Lord, your creation is awesome. And immediately I began to think, wow, what's heaven going to be like? Um, but then I got to thinking, what are you going to be like face to face in all your glory? And um, I just believe there's a pattern in the scripture that we're going to fall down. Um, we're going to fall down before the Lord. And I think a lot of that, at least I've, I've wrestled with that over the years and thinking, why, why? You know, I think a lot of it has to do with holiness, right? You have the Isaiah 6 passage, and you have that. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory, but I'm thinking it, 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 it's that, but it's also falling down before the one that, that died for me and, and the one that gives me the only hope that I have. And, and to be able to, to be in His presence for eternity is beyond really, our, our understanding. But then I got to thinking further about it, and I'm like, it's just grace. Because I certainly don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve salvation. Um, it's all about the grace of God. In our salvation, in our sanctification, and in future glorification. And we can't even imagine that. Um, but, but what a picture. So it just brought me to the Psalms. Um, there's so many of them, and, and we could read, but... I wanted to read Psalm 96. If you would just stand as we read these verses together in honor of our Lord. The psalmist says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Proclaim good tidings of His salvation from day to day, tell of His glory among the nations, His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. 
You know, I read that, I thought about the instruction God gave to Israel in relationship to their children and, and their grandchildren. And you just, you know, you're supposed to tell your children and grandchildren about the greatness of the Lord and all the things that he's done. And I thought, well, that's a really good discipline that we need to tell our children from the time they're young just how great our God is. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar in all it contains. Let the field exult and all that is in it. Then all of the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord, for He is coming. For He is coming to judge the earth. And if there's anything we've been, you know, you've been catching through Second Peter, He's coming to judge. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. You know, when you think of our current culture and world today, there are so many people trusting in themselves and trusting in other gods and other ways. But the Bible clearly says that there is but one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ, the Lord. I trust that He is your Savior and Lord today. Well, let's pray uh, together. Lord, it's so refreshing to read passages like Psalm 97 and to, to be able to just reflect on who you are um, as the psalmist wrote Lord you're above all gods and so far above it's really laughable you are holy 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 and there is no one like you and yet Lord um because of grace, um, we're going to be allowed to be in your presence one day. All those who are in Christ Jesus will be there. And what a magnificent picture that's given to us in Scripture of that in the book of Revelation. And the worship that will go on. And Lord, I, I just pray that um, we would have the freedom every day just to be released to worship you every day not just on Sunday but that it's a pattern in our lives where we are ascribing worth to you and value to you and it's not just this exercise on Sunday in which we feel better about ourselves because we attended church Lord help it to be about relationship not religion Lord, I just want to thank you for all that are gathered here today. For the ones that are visiting, we're thankful they're here. 
Um, I pray that they would um, feel welcome and that, Lord, as we open your word and as we sing, that, um, Lord, um, we're singing to you because you're the only one worthy of worship. And so we just commit our time to you. Thank you so much for giving us this time. And we praise you because of that and so many, many other things. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Thad, for that powerful psalm. Awesome psalm. And that's what we're here to do. So let's do that now. Let's ascribe worth to his name. Let's praise. Let's exalt him together. King who 
Amen. Um, Thad was talking about um, falling down before the Lord. And in the Bible, it talks about all kind of different things that we do um, in response to what is going on in our heart of praising the Lord. Sometimes it's falling down. Uh, sometimes it's raising our hands. I talked with the kids on Wednesday night a few weeks ago about how in Psalm 150, it even talks about dancing. And uh, on this next song, it's one we do on Wednesday nights, and the kids have some motions to it. And I want to see you doing it out there, okay? So you can, you can lead by example on this one, all right? That we can praise the Lord with all of our being. Let's sing this together. It's the song of the redeemed. Rising from the African plains, it's the song of the forgiven, drowning at the heavens unraved. The song of ancient believers, filled with God's holy fire. Yes, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, a love song born of a grateful choir. Here we go. It's all God's children singing glory, glory. of cathedrals to the faithful gathered underground of all the songs sung from the dawn of creation some were meant to persist of all the bells rung from a thousand steeples none reached fewer than this 
Well, I trust it is well with your soul today. Um, you're going to know that. If it is well with your soul, then you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And you can be confident that upon salvation, um, you're at peace with God. And you can be confident also that the Lord keeps those that are His. I kind of like that. I feel bad for those folks who take, twist, uh, that take Scripture and kind of twist it in terms of eternal security. Um, because I, I just wonder how the joy can consistently be. Um, I have a joy that's consistent because my God holds on to me. And as the Word of God says, I have been sealed until the day of redemption. Well, if you're a believer in Christ today, this message is for you. Um, remember last week we started the final part of Second Peter. Can you imagine that? We'll be done today. Whew, unbelievable. And we're in this section where, remember in the context of Second Peter, um, Peter knows that his death is imminent, that soon he would be with the Lord. And so as a shepherd, he's writing with this sense of urgency, right? That, that the people that he's shepherding would understand the importance of their growth in Christ, of their walk every day. Let me say this up front, that, that you don't walk al alone if you belong to the Lord. Um, the Spirit of the living God is in you. And it's our responsibility as believers every day to yield to the Spirit. But as we know, that's difficult to do. Because there's this battle that's raging every single day. And so I have to make it my intention every morning <clears throat> to say, Spirit of God, I'm going to yield to you today. I'm going to walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. And so I want you to know, because sometimes when you come to instructional passages, it's almost like there's this, there's this um, uh, total reliance on self. We have responsibility, but we also have the Spirit of God that indwells us. And I think that's important to know. Um, because as you come to this last section, I mean, Peter, he's pretty rough with them. That's pretty heavy stuff. I mean, he's giving them instructions that they need to embrace that they need to, to, to take and to take ownership of. And um, so we, we kind of got on this theme of instructions and, you know, how do you take instruction? Are you, do you do well with that? Um, and so I found these like humorous things on instructions. I have two more today for you. I thought they were funny. You might not like them, but you're going to see them anyway. I like that one. Instructions, put on food. It's pretty good. Ketchup. What else do you do with ketchup? Put on food. Don't tell me what you do. Just put on food. And then this one here, it's a pizza box. Open box before eating. Let me tell you some instructions that meet you head on. 
when you're growing up and you first fill out your taxes. <laughs> Remember that? And you're like, you're reading those instructions very intently. You don't want to miss anything. Um, especially if you think you're going to get some back. Um, and, I mean, you have to pay attention to every line, right? And what does it say? What does that mean for me? And, and it's like you're going over it. And you want to make sure you have it right because you don't want to get the letter in the mail that says, hey, we'd like to talk to you. Have a chat with you. Come by and see you. And so we pay in, uh, attention to that. We're careful about that. Um, and I think that with that same urgency, you know, we ought to approach this text. With that mind, every line's important. Everything that Peter's saying to these believers is important. And, and so if it was important for them, then the conclusion is it's important for us. All right? If it was important for them, it's important for us. Last week, we looked together at verse 14. Remember verse 14 of 2 Peter chapter 3? Where Peter writes to these believers, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, what things? The coming of the day of God. For these things be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. And so we looked at that word diligence. And because in this particular text, uh, there are four imperative verbs in the text from verses 14 through 18. And, and the section's built around those verbs. And you know what an imperative is, right? An imperative is not an option. It, 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 now, I think sometimes believers may be guilty of looking at certain passages as options. But that's not how we need to live as believers. We need to look at the imperatives of Scripture... And listen to this, and embrace them for what they are. Because the God of all creation and the God that loves you gave this to us. And so while it may be difficult, and a lot of it is, we need to embrace it. And we need to obey what God says. And I like to say it like that. We need to obey what God says. I'm not making this up. It's right here in the text. And when these original readers got that, they, they were to pay attention to everything that was given to them. But in this last section, Peter builds his argument around four imperative verbs. The first one we looked at last week was the word diligent. Well, this week we tackle the other three verbs and they all connect this next verb is found in verse number 15. Notice what he says. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. Now, the idea of the word regard here, I put the definition there for you, is to think about to give deliberate thought to something. It's not this just passing glance and I'm done with it, but it's I need to give careful thought and careful attention to something, and we're going to talk about that something in just a second. But that's the idea of the, the, the verb regard. 
All right? The idea is to think about, to give deliberate attention to, like this. I would suggest, young people, that before you get married, you give considerable thought to the one you're going to marry. You don't just go, well, I think I'll choose that one. Or I'll think I'll choose that one. No, there's deliberate thought. I am going to pray about this. I'm going to pray for God's leading. I know this to be true, that God does not want me to be unequally yoked. Right? That's what the Bible says. Now listen to me, young people. There are whole lots of people that get in trouble by marrying someone who's not saved. And someone who's not walking with the Lord, I'd even go a step further than that. Someone who's not walking with the Lord. They, and, and the mindset a lot of times is, well, I can drag them, right? I'll drag them to the foot of the cross. That, that's, that doesn't happen. We plant, we water, God causes the growth. So I would suggest to you, by way of illustration, in terms of this word regard, that you give deliberate thought to who it is you will marry. And married couples, that you would give deliberate thought to how you raise your children. God's already told us how, right? He's told us in his word how to do that. The Bible tells us fathers are to bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of who? The Lord. So from the, listen, from the time that these little guys and gals come out, you're investing God's word into their lives. So that when they're 13 or 14 and they're sitting in a science class and the science teacher's talking about evolution, they're not going, what? So there needs to be deliberate thought. And that's the idea of the word. It's interesting, this word's used several times in the New Testament. In James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, in the context of trials... That same word there, consider, is the word regard. So we're to give consideration to the fact, right? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So we're to consider, right? It all joy, regard it all joy. Wow, that's weird. How can there be joy in trials? I'm not just supposed to right, just take a glance at it, but I'm to consider it. Consider it all joy. Well, how can the world, can you and I consider it all joy when we go through various trials? Well, remember, joy is an attitude. I can have an attitude of joy. Now, I don't know about you, I'm not always going to be happy. You always going to be happy? No. There are circumstances that lead us and we're like very unhappy. But in those unhappy circumstances, there can be joy knowing that just as we sang a few minutes ago, did you read the words, sovereign in trials? Well, that word's also used in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. But whatever things were gained to me, Paul says, those things I have counted, regarded, as lost for the sake of Christ. And he uses it three times in this text. More than that, I count, I regard all things to be lost. Now, if you read the context of that passage and where Paul was, 
And the things that he would have regarded as right up here, at the very highest point, he's saying, I count all things to be loss. All those things that I want count, once counted as gain, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He says, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And look at this, and count them but dung. That's the word. Rubbish. So that I may gain Christ. What a view. Wow, Lord, help us to have that view. Right? Whew. We could just go to Philippians and I could preach that. What a great text. I mean, when you really sit down, sit down this afternoon and think about that. Could you, could you and I write that? I count all things as loss. Everything that I consider valuable as loss for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. Whew. So that's the idea of the term here, the word regard in Second Peter. Well, we have to ask ourselves the question, you know, what does he want them to regard? We're going to look at that in just a second. I want you to know also that the tense of the verb means to do it now. Don't delay. <laughs> I like that. You know, it immediately reminded me of how I was raised. When my father said, Dad, take out the trash. He wasn't looking for a minute later or five minutes later. He wasn't even looking for, hey, Dad, I'll get around to it. Do you know what my dad meant when he said, son, take the trash out? How many of you know? Those that don't know need to know. He meant do it now. Don't delay. Hey, son, cut the grass. Get to it later, Dad. No, it meant now. And listen, there's this sense of urgency that Peter has in writing to these guys. He's saying, do it now. So what were they to do? What were they to regard now? Notice what he says. Regard the patience of our Lord salvation. You know, he's already spoken about this. If you remember back up in uh, chapter, uh, in the beginning of the chapter, he wrote in verse 9, The Lord is not slow about his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, long-suffering toward you, not wishing, not desiring for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The long-suffering of the Lord. You know, how does that work out? Because he tells them, listen, regard... Consider diligently the patience of our Lord's salvation. So how do I respond to that? How do I respond to the long-suffering of the Lord as it relates to salvation? Because as I look at my life, I am thankful. I can look back and I can be thankful for the long-suffering of the Lord, for the patience of the Lord, because when I was seven years old, I came to know Christ as my Savior. I'm thankful for the patience of the Lord. Are you? Are you thankful for the patience of the Lord as it relates to salvation? Right? And, and I'm thinking, well, how do we respond to this? Let me tell you how. You know how we respond to the long-suffering in regards to salvation? One word, witness. That's how. We witness. We tell others about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We tell others about what Christ has done for us. It's interesting that uh, he mentions it twice in this passage about the long-suffering of the Lord as it relates to salvation. But notice that next little phrase in verse 15. Just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. Um, 
what in the world is he talking about? What did Paul write about? Well, he also wrote about the long-suffering of the Lord in regard to salvation. If you go back to Romans chapter 2, verse 4, I'm not for certain that this is what Peter had in mind, but could be one of those verses that Peter had in mind. Notice what it says, Romans chapter 2, verse 4, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, there's that word long-suffering, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. It's the kindness of the Lord. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that leads us to repentance. Um, and so that's what he's writing about here in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Regard, give consideration to the patience of our Lord, salvation. And so our response to that is that we witness, we tell others about the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, as Paul, can, as Paul continues on in his thought, there's more to consider. Look at verse 16. Let's read that. There's quite a bit here that we wanted to look at. Um, he says, As also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which some, which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught, now that word untaught means the ignorant, the uneducated, those who have lack of training. And as I was reading that and studying the word there, I really like the word ignorant. Now that sounds very offensive, doesn't it? To say someone is ignorant. But he's going to describe these who are ignorant. These are those, as he's going to refer to, that twist or distort the scriptures. Now I don't know about you, but whenever you send your child to a Sunday school class or you send your child to a youth group, I would hope that in your mind as a believer, the thought is, I trust that these teachers have so engulfed themselves in God's Word that they know what they're doing with the help of the Spirit. That they're not just winging it, so to speak. And so, it's very important. Peter refers to these guys as untaught. And then he uses another word. He says an unstable now, the word unstable there means those that lack spiritual stability. It reminded me of the verse in Ephesians, we're not to be tossed about by every wind and wave of doctrine. My friends, listen, plant yourself in the doctrine of God's Word. And there is a lot there that's clear in the doctrine of God's Word as it relates to the authority of Scripture, as it relates to salvation, as it relates to sanctification, as it relates to glorification. And you can go on down the line. Peter is warning these guys. He says, As also in all his letters, speaking of, of these things, which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of scriptures, notice what he says, to their own destruction. And so I thought, well, we can't just leave out verse 16 because the verb that we want to talk about are in 17 and 18. We've got to deal with, with 16. So I thought, well, more to consider. Um, and I made four observations. Number one, Peter gives credence to the letters of Paul. Notice verse 15. Just as also our beloved brother Paul, according, and I love this next phrase, according to the wisdom, what? What's the next phrase there? Given him. Who gave Paul the wisdom? The Lord did. What does James tell us to do? If we lack wisdom, what? Ask. 
Paul was given wisdom by the Lord. And as a result, we have his letters. Um, the second thing that comes up in the text is, what are these things in verse 16? I, I like questions. And I like to kind of research. So I'm thinking, okay, he writes here, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things. What things is he talking about? Uh, well, there's two views. If there's one thing I've learned about Scripture, there's views and views and views. Um, there are two views here as it relates to um, these things. I have a pretty strong leaning to one of them, but I'm going to mention two of them to you. First of all, there's one view that says these things are attached to the long-suffering of the Lord as it relates to salvation. That's hard to understand, the long-suffering of the Lord. Okay, I respect that view. But I think there's a, a more... Um, I think a, a better view in terms of um, the context. Because if you look here in verse 16, he uses the phrase, these things. And so the first thing you have to do is say, well, is there any other time in the passage where he uses the phrase, these things? What's the answer to that? Yes. Class, shake your head. He uses it twice. Look in verse 11. Since all these things, what things? Well, you go back to verse 10. The day of the Lord, right? The judgment of the Lord. We'll just phrase it that way. Since all these things are to be destroyed. So in that context, he's writing about a future day where there's going to be destruction. Well, then if you learn, look at verse 14, he says, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things. What things? Verse 13, where it talks about, According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so I believe that when he refers to these things in verse 16, he's referring to future things, to the things that, that Peter's been discussing in relationship to the coming of Christ, in relationship to the judgment of Christ, in the relationship to um, the new heavens and, and earth. And so I think that's what he's writing about here in verse 16. He says, As also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they also do the rest of scriptures. My third observation is this. Notice what he says here. Some scripture is difficult to understand, but I put this, not impossible. Not impossible to understand. And I can give you an example of that. When I was 20 years old, I was asked by a class to teach the book of Revelation. Yeah, you can moan and groan. I did too. I should have never given a bunch of students a survey saying, what would you like to study? They all picked the book of Revelation. I was at no, listen, I was not ready at 20 years of age to teach the book of Revelation. I freely admit that. But you know how I am, because if you've been with me a while, I go verse by verse. So in the four months I was there, I didn't get out of chapter one. Um, <laughs> the rest of it probably would have scared me to death. I was at no point ready Right? In my walk with the Lord, I, I had sat under some good teaching at that point. I was kind of halfway through Southeastern at the time. But I wasn't educated enough. I had not studied it enough myself. I didn't know. And so there are things as it relates to the future things that are difficult to understand, but they're not impossible. I think, I think it's important that we study them. I mean, I heard a guy several years ago say, well, how important is it to really study future things? Well, I would say very, 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 very important. 
Because guess what? One of these days, you and I are going to shut our eyes in death. Where are you going to be? Presence of the Lord. Amen. You can say that out loud. Presence of the Lord. She says that with confidence. So some scripture is hard to understand. We wrestle with it. We know. But I don't think impossible. There are some things you come to and you're like, I don't know. But I think that's Peter's point here. Some scripture is difficult to understand. But he goes beyond that. He doesn't just say, hey, look, it's hard to understand. Notice what he says. The fourth observation in this verse. Some twist the scriptures to their own ruin. Look at this, this uh, last phrase. Which the untaught, we talked about them, the ignorant, and unstable, which by the way, all you'd have to do for an illustration is go back to chapter 2 where he's talking about these false teachers. They're unstable. They're untaught. They distort the scriptures. Um, and it says here, to their own destruction or ruin. I love to do word studies. So I want you to underline that word there, distort, in verse 16. That is a really interesting word. Listen to me, people, today. Peter wanted them to get this. He wanted them to get it really bad. That there were some out there that were distorting and twisting Scripture. That word distort is a picture of a rack or a table of torture. So, this is how it went. The table of torture or the rack you had, and you would put a person on that rack, and you would stretch their bodies, literally twisting and pulling their limbs out of joint. That's the picture. That sounds awful, doesn't it? How many of you want to be put on a table, right? Some of you guys go to a chiropractor, and I'm not doing that. And once I did this word study, I'm like, I'm never doing that. You know, all these people say, hey, Thad, you need to go to the chiropractor. It's wonderful. You'll feel better. Da, 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 da. I do this word study on distort, and I'm like, never going. Because I have forever implanted in my mind this picture of torture. Right? Where these guys, listen, these guys are taking people's limbs, and they're twisting and pulling them out of joint. Now, that's a pretty strong picture, wouldn't you say? That Peter is using here to talk about these that twist and distort Scripture. He says, they do so to their own ruin or own destruction. You want an example of that? Good, I'll give it to you. If you back up to, to the beginning of chapter uh, 3, you remember these verses? Look at verse 3. Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own what? Lust. Listen, these guys, they're not considering the coming of Christ. They're certainly not considering judgment. What are they considering? Themselves. They're following after their own lust. Whatever they want to do, they're going to do it. Why? Because, hey, Christ isn't coming. I can live like I want to live. My friends, listen to me. That's twisting and distorting Scripture. Because Christ is coming and every man will give an account. Did you know that? That if your destiny, if you are without Christ, you are going to stand before Jesus Christ. At the great white throne judgment, you're going to give account. And even believers will as well give account at the Bema seat for the things that we do in the body. And some of it is going to burn up. Some of it is going to remain. So this picture here that Peter paints of distorting Scripture is pretty strong. 
All right, then we come to the, the third verb in the text. And the idea of this verb is to watch closely. To watch closely. Um, notice verse 17. Look what he says. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand. What's he talking about? Knowing what beforehand? Class? What did they know? They knew that there were some that distorted and twisted Scripture. That's what they knew. That's what it goes back to. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard. There it is. There's that verb. Watch closely. Now notice what he says here. Be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error. And that word error there means wrong view or views. By the error of unprincipled men. And the unprincipled men here describes those who are lawless, who are morally corrupt, just like we read about here back in the beginning of chapter 3. He says, so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. Now, who's he writing to? Believers. Believers. Now, I want to clear up something. When it says fall from your own steadfastness, he's not talking about losing your salvation. That's not what he's talking about. Okay? He's not talking about losing your salvation. He's talking here about the issue of stability in your walk with the Lord. Notice what he says. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you're not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness because we're to be steadfast. Remember at the end of the, the resurrection chapter in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes about the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of the believer. And then he says this, verse 58, Therefore, brothers, beloved, what? Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not what? In vain. Be steadfast. Be a steadfast believer. Um, ah. Take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Acts. I want to show you an example of this word, guard. This word is an interesting word in the original language because it's a military term. And the picture here is of those guarding others who were asleep. It's an interesting picture, right? It's a picture of guards guarding those who are asleep. Um, if you go to Acts chapter 20, verse 25, let's look here. We're going to see this word guard again. Acts chapter 20, verse 25. Now, in the context of the passage, Paul has called um, the Ephesian elders to Miletus, and he is talking with them. And verse 25 says this, And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. In other words, he declared the whole counsel of God. My friends, listen to me. If you want to be innocent, declare the whole counsel of God. You say, well, what does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. You give the whole gospel. And when you give the whole gospel, you got to talk about what? Sin, and you got to talk about hell. 
And those are two words today that are just like, untouchable. But the reality is, Paul, he wasn't ashamed, was he? Not at all. He says, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men. That's a great position to be in. And you could be in that position if you declare the whole counsel of God. Verse 27, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. He says, be on guard. There's that word there. Be on guard. Watch closely. And notice the order here. For yourselves and for all the flock. In 2 Peter, he tells them to guard themselves. It's the responsibility of shepherds to guard not only themselves, but the sheep. And that's exactly what is being told to us in, in Acts chapter 20, look, verse 28, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. Why? Well, he's going to tell us. Among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. That is a heavy verse. Are you getting all that? Look at that. He tells these elders, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. So not just yourself, but all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He puts you there to do what? To sit around a table and have a meeting. No. Not what he says. To shepherd the church of God. How weighty is that? He tells you. Which he purchased with his own blood. Listen to me, it is imperative, especially in the day and the time that we live in today, and there are many who are distorting the scriptures. Listen to me, my brothers and sisters in Christ, if you know him today, guard yourself. You say, well, how in the world do I do that, Thad? Dive in and eat this book. Study it cover to cover. Know it yourself. You say, yeah, but every week when we come, so-and-so teaches and so-and-so teaches, I'm good. No, you're not. You're not good. Every day we have the privilege as believers to open God's holy word and to learn. Guess who our teacher is? Class? Very good. The Holy Spirit. Yeah, but I'm really relying on this dude. Rely on the Spirit. Heavy verse. Notice he says, which he purchased with his own blood. (laughs) And then here it is. Why in the world should we guard ourselves? Look at verse 29. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Ouch. And look at this. Not only from outside, they're coming, but notice what it says, verse 30. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. My friends, listen to me. You take that Timothy passage. We're living in that day. We are, it is here. Not only are they outside the church, they're inside the church, and they're distorting and twisting Scripture to their own advantage, but Peter says it's to their destruction. You twist the gospel, it's to your destruction. You live like you want to live, it's to your destruction. And Paul says, therefore, be on the alert. Be aware. You can't be sleeping. Remember that night and day, and I love this here, night and day, 
For a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with what? Tears. You think he was fully invested? Answer, yes! So it just kind of brings to mind, well, gee, it's that important because I need to be steadfast as a believer. I don't need to be be carried away by every wind and wave of doctrine. What do I need to do? You see, Peter's giving them something to do. (laughs) Right? Be on guard. Guard yourself. It's heavy. And it's not just my responsibility to guard you. The other elders are to guard you, but first you're to guard yourself. You know how you do that? You eat this book. You drink this book every single day. And you say, yeah, that that sounds great. I just don't have time. Make time. Yeah, but I like to watch this. Turn it off. Yeah, but I like to do this. Don't do it. Yeah, but we always forget it. Get the book. I mean, look, I always, I use the same excuses you guys do. I'm no different from you. I'm in the boat with you. Right? I'm right there with you. You know, when I, my wife and I dropped all three of our kids off at college. Man. That was tough. But if you know me, and a lot of you do, I'm not bashful about giving instructions. And so do you know what I did with all three of my boys? I gave them instructions. And do you know what they said? They were, yes, Daddy, we're going to do that. (laughs) They didn't say that. Hey, guys, we got a heavenly Father who loves us so much, he gave us this book of instruction. We're to take it in and we're to digest it and we're to obey it. Not because any pastor said so, but because he said so. Well, that's verse 17, the third verse, be on your guard. Now to the last verse. Last verb. Wow. Hard to believe. You're going, wow. Right? You are. Be honest. Wow. So he says, You therefore, beloved brother, in verse 17, knowing this beforehand, knowing that there are those who are untaught, unstable, who distort the Scriptures. Listen, they distort all the Scriptures. He says, You knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you're not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. And here it is. But... What? Grow. There's the next verb, the word grow. As I have in your notes there, the word grow is a present tense imperative calling for continual growth. It's not, well, you know, I really don't feel like it today. Right? I mean, if I had to offer that excuse to my father, I really don't feel like it today. You know what would have happened within the next 30 seconds to a minute? I would have felt like it. All of a sudden, I would have felt like it. Because I was tired of getting beat. 
You know, the Bible tells us whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And do you know he loves you? Right? And you didn't do anything to earn that. He just loves you as a believer. And this is his manual for all of us. It's wonderful. So he says, grow, what? Grow in the grace, the unmerited favor and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord and Savior, both. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Master, right? The one who is over us and Savior who bought us, Jesus Christ. Because he did buy us. And listen, we're not our own, we belong to him. And I want to tell you what I see a lot of times that happens to Christians. Well, I'm saved, but, but, but you know, this whole growth piece, I mean, how important is it really? Very important. When you plant a garden, any of you do gardens? I know one that does because he brought tomatoes this past week. Praise God, they're beautiful. But when you do gardens, you have to pay attention to those gardens, don't you? You can't go weeks and go, ah, it'll be all right. No, you have to pay attention to that. And we have to pay attention to our growth spiritually. There's a battle going on every single day for you and me. Every day. And so Peter says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How's that going to happen? As one man put it, you can't grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ without opening his book. You've got to open it and you've got to study it. Now, I have an assignment for you this afternoon. And I know you're going to do it, right? You see um, this, these verses here? You say, well, Thad, how do I grow? And, and, and Peter talks about that whole growth thing here in chapter 1. But here in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, he talks about how you grow. And notice what he says. Therefore, putting aside all malice, and in the section before that, he's just talked about the living and enduring word of God. He says, therefore, putting aside all malice. Now, what are these words? Malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. What are those words? Say it louder. Sin. Yeah, so listen, the idea here is put it aside for good. Put aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of what? The word. Why? He tells you why. So that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. If you have discipled someone, you've had the privilege probably of seeing some of that growth, right? You see that. Years ago, before I took a youth group to Chicago, I had them write their testimony. What happens when people write their testimony? Well, a lot of times they write about that day of salvation, and that's great. But do you know that our testimony goes beyond just that day of salvation? Did you know that? And so what I had those students do was, hey, tell me how you're growing in your relationship to Christ now. What's going on now? And do you know what? I figure if it's good enough for a bunch of teenagers, it's good enough for us. 
We need to consider how are we growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I am glad you asked that. So you can go this afternoon and, listen, stretch yourself this next week. I would encourage you, take the book of 1 Peter and read it. And look at the number of different ways there in 1 Peter that the Lord wants us to grow. You'll be amazed. I went through it my, this last week myself and circled. I ended up almost circling every single verse. It's awesome. I want to give you... There are two things we want to do before we stop this morning. One, I want to give you three irreplaceable pieces. You know, when I type that word irreplaceable, that just doesn't look like a word. But it is. It's a word. Three irreplaceable pieces as it relates to continued growth. And here they are. One, the word. The word. Spiritual growth happens as one continually eats the word of God. Eat it. Eat it, eat it, eat it. You say, with that, I don't have time. First thing in the morning, I get up, I drink my coffee, I'm off to work. Well, you know what I'm going to challenge you to do? Something. Read one verse. How many of you believe the word of God is powerful? You say, ah, just one verse. Read one verse, and then continue to do that for like two weeks, and then add another verse. You know what's going to happen to you? By the time you're adding verses, you're going to be thinking about it at work. You're going to be thinking about it when you're beating your kids. You're going to be thinking about it. I mean, it's just going to be like, I want the Word. That's what happens with believers. They want more and more and more of the Word. Eat the Word. Secondly, prayer. I like what E.M. Bounds wrote. Those who know God the best are the richest and most powerful in prayer. Real quick. I think sometimes, and just my thought, sometimes I think when it comes to prayer and the discipline of prayer, people are afraid they're going to say the wrong things. You know what I would encourage you to do? Be who you are. Talk to God and say, Lord, have you ever read the Psalms? <laughs> I mean, it's like, whoa, man. I mean, there's times in the Psalms where the writer's just, God, pleading for an ear to hear. And you know what's awesome about our God, guys? I got something great for you to think about. That when you come before your God and I come before my God, who is the God of all creation, and there are people all over the world coming before the Lord at one time, he's not confused. <laughs> right, I get in a circle of people sometimes and there's like four or five conversations going on I'm like please get to one right? I can't, I can't understand all that but it's not confusion to our God he is fully aware of everything that's going on with you right this moment he knows your thoughts and intentions he knows those of you who are thinking man I wish he would hurry up because I'm ready to eat he knows everything that's going on in your life and my life he loves us Listen, commune with the Lord. That's what the early church did. They devoted themselves to prayer. And the last one, and this is one that um, I think deserves a lot of consideration because the Bible says we need to assemble with believers. Hebrews says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. 
You know, some of the richest times that I've had as a believer in Christ is being with you. I love being with you. It's awesome. And you know, it's not limited to this. You believers in small groups. I mean, it's just wonderful to be with other believers. And Kevin DeYoung wrote, without the God-given habit of corporate worship and the God-given mandate of corporate accountability, we will not prove faithful over the long haul. Certainly something to think about and to consider. How are you with taking instructions? You know, the Lord, the Lord wants us to consider heavily what he tells us in this book. Two things and I'm done. One is the illustration about following instructions. Now, I can't pronounce the man's last name, so I'm just going to call him Mr. Cup. Okay? His last name is Cup. Cup for Smid. So I'm not saying that the whole time. I'm going to say Mr. Cup. Well, Mr. Cup was an 81-year-old man, and he was on a flight with a 52-year-old man. And all of a sudden, the 52-year-old man slumps over who was the pilot, and he dies. The 81-year-old man, Mr. Cup, did not know how to fly a plane. And so he begins to yell immediately on his radio. And there are two, this is a true story, there are two pilots that came on that heard what was going on. And as the illustration goes, they gave Mr. Cup instructions of climbing, steering, and the scariest part, landing. I've always said if I was in a plane with somebody else that was I'd just jump, find water and jump, but that'd be hard landing too. He said, it's, the story goes that the two pilots, the two experienced pilots went up and were looking for the man, found him as he was approaching the runway, and they circled the airport three times with him. And then he came to a landing and the witnesses said the plane's nose nudged the center line and bounced a few times before the tail hit the ground. It said the Cessna ended up in a patch of soggy grass next to the runway. Amazingly, Mr. Cup was not injured. And I like what they write at the end. He listened and followed those instructions as if his life depended on it. Guys, we need to listen to this book as if our lives depend on it. And they do. Well, that's not the end. Here it is. Here's the end. Look into verse 18. And I think it ends appropriately. Because while the attention there in the previous verses is on the believer, notice here he says, to him, to the Lord Jesus Christ, be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And it's all about the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, it's a book, a book about growing, a book of warning, and a book that looks forward to the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And as we're walking through this, on this trail, pay attention, be alert, because the enemy is out there. We need to stand on the living and enduring Word of God. Let's pray together.
Lord, I know in my life um, there have been many books that I've studied from your word and just for where I'm at right now, I, I can't thank you enough for Second Peter. What a wonderful letter. It's a hard letter because there's a lot of hard language in it. But it's important. Lord, we want our kids as they're growing up to pay attention to our instruction because we have the best in mind for them. We love them. And do you know, Lord, sometimes they don't listen to us and they wander off on their own path. They wander off in the weeds, the thorn bushes. They get stuck by life and it hurts. And Lord, there are times when we would have to admit as believers that we wander off the path and we get stuck by thorns and it hurts. But as I was talking with my wife yesterday about something going on in my life, as your child, I know for a fact that when I sin, you chasten me. And Lord, you know better than any, we need chastening because we're prone to the flesh. But I pray that we would know we can have victory over these things in our lives that are thorns as we yield to the Spirit of the living God. Help us to take your word seriously. Lord, that we might, as Peter closed this letter, that everything might be about your glory. Thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for your long-suffering. And as we have opportunities, help us to declare the whole counsel of God. In Jesus' name, amen.